Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kreviak. I manage the TMA Education Center and produce the TMA Practice Well podcast. And this is Ask the Expert, where you send in your questions and TMA expert staff and guests provide answers. This episode is moderated by Sylvia Salazar, AVP of Membership and Leadership Development. Well, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Ask the Expert is a virtual series to bring members direct access to professional experts who can answer questions on legal, practice management, advocacy, and regulatory topics. A TMA staff expert hosts a virtual meeting to discuss their area of expertise and answer your questions. So I encourage you to visit textmed.org forward slash ask the expert for upcoming Ask the Expert events resource links on the series topics and a podcast and podcast recordings of prior Ask the Expert events. Today's Ask the Expert virtual event is Medicare Physician Fee Schedule. Our speakers are Robert Bennett, Vice President, TMA Medical Economics, and Shannon Vogel, Associate Vice President, TMA Health Information Technology. So I'm going to go ahead and start with um, asking Robert, what is TMA doing to avert the payment cuts Medicare will impose in 2023? Yeah, that's the, the big news. Thanks, Sylvia. Unfortunately, the fee schedule is the annual regulation that comes out from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services that will predict what the uh, next year's payment is. So 
2023, uh, there's going to be a 4.5% decrease uh, from the 2022 conversion factor. So the 2023 conversion factor, which is a multiplier that you use, you multiply it times your, your RVUs or relative value units and uh, uh, come up with your payment amount. So the conversion factor next year is going to be $33.06. That's a decrease of $1.55. Uh, from this year's conversion factor. So what is TMA doing? We've partnered with the AMA and other pretty much every medical specialty society, state and subspecialty society to push for a bill to be passed in Congress. It's HR or House Resolution 8800. And we're hopeful that Congress will pass that in this lame duck session, uh, which they're really just now starting up with uh, appointing new leaders. We have a, an advocacy campaign uh, that we're asking TMA members to participate in. You can visit textmed.org advocacy and contact your representative and your two senators and urge them to support this bill. This bill is only a short-term patch. It only covers 2023. The strategy is that in 2023, with the new Congress, more meaningful uh, Medicare payment reforms can be implemented and to that end, there's a set of guiding principles that TMA has helped develop with the AMA and others that would uh, prevent us from getting in this annual situation where, where cuts are occurring uh, to Medicare uh, physicians. So again, please visit textmed.org advocacy, and all you have to do is enter in your zip code. It, we make it pretty painless, and hopefully Congress addresses this soon. They have been known to do this retroactively. So in January, sometimes they'll come back from the holidays and retroactively address these cuts. But it's important to be heard now and later on these cuts. Thank you, Sylvia. Thank you, Robert. Um, Shannon, how will physicians know what teleservices are covered by Medicare at the end of the public health emergency? Thank you, Sylvia. We get a lot of questions about telemedicine and telehealth services and how they'll be covered, you know, not only now and how they're paid, but also once the public health emergency ends. One thing that Congress did act on is that they allow the telehealth flexibilities that have been put in place by Medicare to extend for 151 days after the public health emergency ends. So just know that once we know that it ends, we have that, that hard date of when it ends, then we can start preparing to um, unwind some of the telehealth policies that have, that have been put in place. And so what will happen once the public health emergency ends and once those 151 days of grace period end, then we will no longer have the HIPAA um, relaxation. So you will have to have a HIPAA compliant telehealth platform. Uh, some of the payment policies will change. CMS has put in place um, payment for telehealth services that can still be delivered via home from the patient's home, but that won't be true with um, typical Medicare services. So the patient, the geographic site restriction, as it's called, um, will mean that the patient can't necessarily be seen in their own home. Of course, we'll continue to press for permanent changes on that because we do think it's important that when you have this vulnerable population that they be able to be seen in home um, without having to deal with mobility or transportation issues. Some of the audio-only teleservices will no longer be paid. At TMA, we have worked quite extensively to put together telemedicine resources um, for our members. So take a look at our telemedicine page that does have information about payment, about the policies that are relaxed. And then again, once the public health, public health emergency ends, we will continuously update that so that you are getting 
fresh information about how to act. So Shannon, you've mentioned a public health emergency. What is the latest, um, you know, when is the end of the public health emergency at this point? Good question. So um, the Secretary of HHS has authority to extend the public health emergency for days at a time. And also there is a requirement that they inform states 60 days before it's going to end. So right now, the public health emergency is extended through January 11th, which means somewhere around mid-November, the states should have received notification if it was going to end. States did not receive that notification. So at this point, we feel pretty confident that it will extend um, probably through around um, mid-April or so. Thank you, good to know. Robert, how will CMS handle split shared E&M billing in 2023 and in the future? Well, in the future is the harder question to answer. And thank you for, for asking, but we, can, we know what they're gonna do in 2023. If folks had been following this a year ago, CMS had finalized policy that said uh, physicians and non-physician practitioners could split, or some people call it a shared visit, for, for new and established patients, and that the billing practitioner, whether it's the physician or the non-physician practitioner, who could bill that E&M code would be the one furnishing the substantial portion. So that caused a, a lot of confusion. How much time a nurse spends with a patient versus physicians? Are we all wearing stopwatches? You know, who bills it first? Uh, this is for new and established patients for office visits. And uh, so in, in the 2023 proposed rule that comes out in July, just the proposal, CMS recognized the billing confusion that this would cause, and they thankfully proposed to delay this policy. And that's something, that delay is something that TMA and others strongly supported. So we were happy to see in the final rule that uh, CMS did finalize that they delayed their policy. So it's going to be, you know, business is normal for split or shared visits. Um, the substantial portion of the ENM service is uh, to be defined as the history, exam, or medical decision making for uh, more than half of the total time. Though CMS had quite a bit of commentary in the final rule that they were going to continue to visit this issue in the future. So I think we have a delay of, of confusion here or delay of gain where we'll, we'll have to keep talking to CMS about how to make coding for ENM services in a team-based environment simple and, and straightforward and not cause angst with coding uh, based off who does the substantial portion. Thank you, Robert. How would the recent Senate resolution possibly affect the end or continuance of the public health emergency? So I don't see that it will affect anything that I just said that it is extended through mid-April. The Senate did, you know, seemingly pass this resolution, but it has not gone through the House. So, you know, not adopted that they're starting a bigger push for ending it and moving on without and learning to live with COVID. But I don't think that that will affect um, anything that I just said about it going through at least mid-April. Thank you, Shannon. Robert, what can I do to find out more about MIPS value pathways or MVPs? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, all we need is more government acronyms, right? You know, the MIPS Value Pathway stands for the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System Value Pathways, which is just a, a mouthful. Congress, when they passed the law that created MIPS, specifically said that they were creating two pathways, the, the MIPS, as I said, Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, and alternative payment models. So CMS on their own accord, but with some input from specific uh, subspecialties, 
has created this kind of hybrid model that's called the MIPS value pathways. The intent there is to help people get out of MIPS, which is just really fee for service and get ready to be in advanced alternative payment models, which sounds nice, but some medical specialty societies, especially those with a limited number of quality measures have embraced this effort. Though uh, I would argue that specialties like primary care have, have been a little bit more reluctant to follow along this path because it allows the government to, it doesn't allow the government, the government does tick with quality measures you would report, uh, which some people find simpler and some people find uh, over restrictive. CMS already has seven uh, MIPS value pathways in 2022. Uh, there's uh, emergency medicine, um, anesthesia, you know, chronic disease management, rheumatology are, are the MIPS value pathways that already exist. In the 2023 final rule, CMS finalized five new MIPS value pathways, advancing cancer care, kidney health, neurological conditions, another neurological condition in promoting wellness. To find out more information, to, to finally get to your question, Sylvia, CMS is putting new information up on their QPP website or quality payment program. I would suggest that those that are looking into MIPS do consider the MIPS value pathways to see if that's a good fit for you, but they're only voluntary right now. You don't have to participate in them if, if you don't want to. However, CMS says that they are going to develop MIPS value pathways for every subspecialty and there, there is a concern by some that these could become mandatory. So this is something we're keeping a, a close eye on, and uh, we'll see the opportunity to provide CMS with further input. Thank you, Robert. So we've got three questions, so I'll read them in order. The first one is, where's a good place to see a summary of changes to the ENM for next year? Uh, well, you know, we're preparing a summary. We're uh, recording a webinar on these issues. And we will be talking further about them. The ENM changes that I have not mentioned yet is that in 2021, CMS finalized new ENM codes for office-based visits. Uh, CMS is now expanding these to other sites, nursing homes, emergency departments, uh, and a few other sites. But we are CMA is developing some some information that'll be in uh, Texas Medicine today on these changes. So if you're not familiar, TMA does have a daily email that goes out. Um, it usually arrives around 6.45 a.m., and it's Texas Medicine Today, and it has all the latest information. If you're not receiving it, you can contact the TMA Knowledge Center at knowledge at texmed.org. That's their email address. Again, that's knowledge at texmed.org, and sign up for that so we can help you with that. Or visit your physician profile online. And the next question is, did Congress halt the Medicare physician payment reductions of 4% that were slated for January 1st, 23? No, they unfortunately have not done that yet. You know, they always kind of make this a, a end of the year to-do list thing. The, the cuts for 2023 are still going to occur unless Congress intervenes. And that's why TMA is asking members to go to the advocacy center that you can find on textmed.org slash advocacy and uh, contact your representative and two senators and, and ask them to avert these cuts. So those are still looming. Thank you. Um, let's see. The next question is under 2022 split shared rules when using a key component as a substantive por portion, the billing provider's substantive portion alone must satisfy the level of E&M service billed. With history and exam no longer key components or part of the E&M's level selection, 
What does TMA recommend in terms of documentation to support these elements and satisfy CMS's split shared requirements? I'll take first stab at that and then look to Cara to maybe clarify or correct me. CMS is delaying the split shared service component that was going to go into effect in 2023. Uh, what TMA recommends you do for documentation, I think, would be unique to your specific practice and, and how you're, you're currently collecting such data. Cara, you're, you're more the, the expert on this than, than I, so do you mind if I uh, see what you have to say on this? Yeah, no, that's fine. Like Robert said, it's really going to depend on your practice. But documentation-wise, it's really just a matter of if you're going to do it on time um, to be specific as to what the time went towards for each provider. Um, if you're going to do it based on the level of medical decision-making, even though that some of the aspects of you know history exam are not going to be used towards the level of code that you use, that it is still necessary for medical necessity. So it's still going to be important to document who did what. Um, if there was an exam, um, an assessment, if, for instance, the nurse practitioner did most of that, then you will want to make sure to document that in the medical record. Thank you, Cara. So I'm going to ask Shannon another question. Shannon, are there any changes to the promoting interoperability measures? Yes, there are. So if you're participating in MIPS, you know that there are four categories. There's promoting interoperability, um, process improvement, quality, and cost. And so for the promoting interoperability, which for those of you who have been along this ride for a while, you'll know that this is what replaced meaningful use. And what's new for 2023 is um, query of the PDMP or sometimes called the prescription monitoring program. You now do have to query that. Um, previously, that was an optional measure and now it is required and is valued at 10 points. And so because we now have this new measure that has 10 points, they did reduce the health information exchange measures to 30, they used to be 40. And speaking of the health information exchange, there is a new one that where if you're um, using TEFCA, which is the, the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement is what it is. And it's for how health information is exchanged. So most HIEs, including the national networks, are TEFCA participants. So if you're working through one of those, that does help you to meet the measure. But you would also meet it through the um, exchange measures if you were participating with one of those. Um, another change is they did change how the public reporting requirements are tiered. It's now into two where the immunization and electronic case reporting are required and are worth um, 25 points. And then the other um, are optional and bonus, which is the public health registry reporting, the clinical data registry reporting, and syndromic surveillance data reporting. And we do have this chart on our promoting interoperability webpage. And if you're wanting to look at spec sheets, I haven't actually checked to see if CMS has placed them up yet for 2023, but the QPP website is a really good source for all things related to MIPS and the measures and where you can see spec sheets that will detail exactly how and what you need to collect to meet the measures. Thank you for that, Shannon. So we can also uh, cross post these on the Ask the Expert page 
which again is textmed.org forward slash ask the expert. So you'll be able to access all of that information from there as well under this uh, topical heading for today's um, ask the expert event. A couple of questions. The first one is I'm not confident that Congress will stop the decreases no matter how hard we lobby. Do we think that the commercial insurers that calculate reimbursement based on percentage of Medicare will also decrease reimbursement to physicians? I'm also concerned. Uh, thank you for that, that question. I'm also concerned that they won't do it this year. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic that they might get to it in January or February and retroactively avert the cuts. But there's so many issues that they're debating in D.C. right now. I'm worried that this one is a back burner for them. And that's why we're asking folks, again, to contact their, their representatives and senators to let them know uh, that this is an important issue. Regarding what a commercial insurer will pay you or what even Medicare Advantage pays, that's largely determined on the contract that you sign with them. Some contracts tie the reimbursement with Medicare factors. Some contracts will specify no less than a certain conversion factor. So it's hard to give you a yes, no on that because it depends on the contract that's negotiated. Thank you. So there is another question. Will safer guidelines still be part of promoting interoperability? Yes, they will. So if you've looked at the safer guides, there are, I believe, nine different modules, but there's only one. The high priority practice guide is the only one that um, physicians have to review and then make changes accordingly. If you've never looked at the safer guides, and we do have them um, linked on the TMA website, and we quite frankly have encouraged the use of them. They're they're actually very well written, written by a Texas physician, in fact, was um, key to putting those together. So I um, it will be part of it. So I think it's actually a, a good thing to review, regardless of whether or not you participate in promoting interoperability. And Sylvia, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and take the next question since it's also related to promoting interoperability. And it's, does Texas have any electronic case reporting? I haven't found one that I can participate in. I'm in Bear County. And you're exactly right that a lot of the counties don't have it in place, but Texas is working. And I've heard that they plan to have it um, ready to go by um, the first of the year, but it looks like that they are launching it and will have that capability ready. Um, so do stay tuned. And any information that we do get on that, we will have um, articles in uh, Texas Medicine Today. Again, that comes out daily into physician inboxes. So if you're not already getting that again, I would recommend that you sign up to, to keep an eye on all that information and any resources that TMA develops to go along with those. Let's see, I'm going to ask Shannon, what is the MIPS performance threshold for 2023? That's a great question too, but it's um, the same for uh, 2023 as it was for 2022, which is 75. To help you understand how that is calculated. So if you can look at the, the categories, so I mentioned earlier that there were the, the four categories, cost quality, promoting interoperability and improvement process. Um, each of them, each of the points for each category are different. So that, you know, there are 30 for the first two, then 25 and 15. And depending on what your performance percentage is within, that's how you begin to calculate your scores. So if you're at eight, if your total score is 18.75 or below, you're doomed with a 9% penalty. If you're 18.76 to 74.99, it could be, um, you know, 
less than a 9% penalty, but there could still be some penalties. And then if you're right at 75, zero, you're neutral. And anything above 75 points, then it could be zero to a 9% bonus. Because it's a budget neutral program, um, it's based on winners and losers. So depending on how many people are eligible for that bonus determines how it gets divided up. And there is no more exceptional performance payment beginning in 2023. That expires with 2022 um, performance years. So there is no longer the exceptional bonus. We have one more question. Will small practices with providers less than 15 still be exempt from promoting interoperability? I called CMS and apparently they are exempt in 2022. Please confirm. So for promoting interoperability for small practices, there is an automatic exemption. So you don't have to do anything. And then for practices greater than 15, you can apply for an exception, a hardship exception uh, for 2022. But for small practices, it is automatic. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, again, thank you all for joining us for the Ask the Expert program today. As a reminder, you can visit textmed.org forward slash Ask the Expert to find upcoming Ask the Expert dates, resource links on these topics, and podcast recordings of prior Ask the Expert events. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for your membership. We hope you take away practical tips you can start using today. Check the episode description for the links to claim CME and the full list of Ask the Expert episodes. Remember to like and follow the TMA Practice Well podcast so you get every episode. Until next time, stay well. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit texmed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today.